Good morning. Open your copy of God's Word to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, this morning. We'll be in Ephesians, chapter 4, with our focus on verses 11 through 16 this morning. Happy New Year. I'm so honored to be here. Uh, to be with you, I will admit, I do miss my own faith family at Briarwood Baptist Church. The Lord has knit our hearts together in love. I know Trey and Jessica knows what that's like. Five years and you probably still miss us at Briarwood Baptist Church. But I am pleased and excited and honored to be here uh, with you this morning. One of the things I love about the body of Christ is that everywhere you go you have brothers and sisters. And that I can come here this morning and worship the same living and true God, the same Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, that they continue to worship this morning in the sprawling metropolis of Reedheimer, Louisiana. And um, it is, um, really refreshes my heart to see all of you here, not just on the Lord's Day, but even on a holiday. And uh, as Brian mentioned, uh, Trey and I have worked together some this year. Uh, doing some pastoral training, but really it, uh, it's a little deeper than that. The connection is deeper than that. Um, Brian and Trey both have become uh, mentors to me and have discipled me. And I'll be the first to admit, even pastors need to be discipled. Um, every member of the body of Christ needs discipling, and so I am thankful to them for that. And we hope in this year, uh, going forward 2023, to Uh, be actively involved in training pastors, training preachers. But the training of pastors and preachers is not an end in and of itself. It is uh, a means to an end. And that's where we'll focus this morning in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 in a sermon which I've titled, The Necessity of Equipped Saints for the Building of the Church. In the book of Ephesians, Paul in chapter 4 has moved into the practical portion of his letter and he he begins by expressing and expounding the ideas for spiritual unity and spiritual maturity as is expressed in the local church. In fact, the commands in chapter 4 or even 5 and 6 of Ephesians are meant to be worked out in the context of the local church. They're meant to be worked out with and for one another. Now, in March of 2020, we know that we can remember back just some years ago, probably New Year's of 2020, we had no idea what was coming. And in March, the church shut down for a time period as we faced COVID-19. And it was scary, and it was sad, and it made us all long to be, many long to be back together. But for many, for millions even, in our nation, in our world, it's led them to ask the question either expressly or ask in their actions, what is even the point of the local church? You can, in fact, get better preaching than you will hear this morning if you have a YouTube uh, connection, internet connection in YouTube. And you can get all the songs you want. You can pick them. You can pick the whole set list. You can sing songs. You can hear preaching. And you can do it all in your pajamas while you eat cinnamon buns and drink coffee. And you can do it from home. And no one has to see you. And uh, I was told back in 2020, you could even take communion together by yourself at home. 
This was the, the idea that began to crop up. And the, the question is, what's the need? What's the point? Why do we even gather? Why am I committed to the local church? But what we'll see in Ephesians 4 this morning is that this is not the New Testament prescription or vision for the church that Jesus Christ is building. And in our text this morning, we'll see in part God's design for the work and the goal of his church. My hope is that you'll recognize your need for the church and also the church's need for you. As you grow in sanctification, ultimately to glory. Let's read. We're going to read in Ephesians Chapter 4, a large chunk, we're going to read from verse 1 to 16 and then spend our focus in 11 through 16. Here's what the Word of God says. It says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, For there is one body, one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and who is through all and who is in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself, also he who ascended, far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we're no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we open your word this morning, we pray that you bless the reading and the preaching and the hearing of the word. Lord, I pray you would stir up our hearts with affection not only for Christ, but affection for one another. As the redeemed the beloved of God. Lord, I pray that you would stir up a passion in each and every Christian here, passion that is for their brother and their sister in the pew next to them, a passion that is for this church, First Baptist Church of Jonesboro. Lord, I pray that you would bring this church progressively and collectively through your process of sanctification, bring them into unity into spiritual maturity, with, with doctrinal clarity, Lord, with, with obedience to the head, Christ. Lord, I pray that you would illuminate the truth of your scripture to each Christian here in this room. 
that as a saint called by God, they are a worker in your kingdom, a worker in this church. Lord, that as long as they have breath in their lungs and the Spirit of God living in them, they have a purpose and a function and a role. Lord, I pray that you would give practical wisdom Lord, to Brother Brian and Brother Trey as they shepherd this flock, as they disciple your beloved here, as the church is built. We ask for the empowerment of your spirit. Lord, we ask finally that you receive all glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Now, as we look at this text, verses 11 through 16, I want to set it before you this morning in three sections as we examine God's design and work and goal for His church. And the first thing we see in verse 11 is the gift of gifted leaders. Look what verse 11 says. It says, And He Himself, this is reference to Jesus Christ, He Himself gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors, and teachers. Now he's already told us in this text that each believer has received grace and each believer according to the measure of Christ's gift has received a spiritual gifting. We see that in verse 7 and 8. But here in verse 11 the focus is on the gifting of the church's spiritual leadership. And it says he himself gave some as apostles. Now you might remember the conversation Jesus has with Peter in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus makes a promise. He says, I will build my church. Now there's a lot of debate over exactly what that means. I will build my church. But Jesus promises that the work of church building belongs to him. And here we see in part one of the ways Jesus fulfills this promise. And it is that he gives to the church gifted men to serve. It says he gave some, and the focus here on verse 11 is that he, he, it's sort of a double gift. God gives gifts to men to serve as apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. And then he takes those collectively and he gives them to the church as a gift. Now the idea here is not like uh, a gift you received at Christmas that you then put on your shelf and you brag about and you point and, the, the, uh, uh, and show everyone that comes in and you honor and lift up the gift. That's not the point. The, the idea is more like he gives you a gift um, that's going to serve you. Uh, once uh, I had been married for about three years and at Christmas my father-in-law asked me what I was getting my beautiful wife for Christmas. And I said, I'm getting her a Roomba. He said, what's a Roomba? I said, it's a vacuum cleaner. He said, you haven't learned anything. I said, no, no, no. This is a special vacuum cleaner. This is a vacuum cleaner that does the vacuuming for her. See, that's the sort of uh, idea here. This is a gift that God has given the church to serve the church. And look at these various offices Jesus Christ gives. He tasks them. He equips them. And at first, he says he gave some as apostles and some as prophets. And these are two distinct and separate groups, but we take them together because they serve the same function. The apostles and prophets, if you flip back in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, it says this. The apostles and prophets, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, the apostles and the prophets laid the foundation of the gospel for you and me. We know we have the prophetic word. We 
read through many prophetic words in the Old Testament. And we see the word of God speaking as he moves men to speak and to prophesy and to write. And we see the apostles who were sent out by Jesus Christ, having seen the risen Lord, sent out to give us the gospel message. He gives them the the gift of the Holy Spirit who will recall to their minds all that he taught. And then he validates the gospel message to the apostles as you read through Acts He validates with miraculous signs and wonders all that they said and taught about Jesus Christ and all that they recorded it so that even the Apostle Paul could write in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. He says, when we came, you received our message as it is, not as the word of men, but as the very word of God. The, The apostles and the prophets laid Christ alone as the foundation for the church. We can know Christ rightly because of the apostles and prophets. If you did not, brothers and sisters, have the word of the apostles and prophets written and recorded for you, you could not know Christ. We believe and we confess as Baptists that the light of nature testifies to the existence and glory of God, but alone is insufficient to bring men to a right understanding of the gospel and salvation. We need the special revelation of God, and he has gifted us with the apostles and prophets, not as uh, uh, these uh, kooks who claim to be modern-day prophets and modern-day apostles, but the real apostles and prophets validated by Jesus Christ, having left us a more certain word. What a gift it is. What a shame to neglect it. He gave not only apostles and prophets. He says he gave some to be evangelists. Some to share the good news. We know we're all called to share the gospel, each and every one of us. But some are so gifted at soul winning. So so gifted at sharing the gospel. They are gifted missionaries. In fact, it was through someone sharing the gospel that you heard the word of Christ that was laid by the apostles and the prophets on which you have believed. God has gifted the church with those who will win souls. It is through repentance and faith that we earn our entrance, uh, that we find our entrance into the body of Christ. We thank God for the gift of those who are willing to be evangelists everywhere they go who are willing to share the good news of the gospel so that men might be brought into the kingdom. Look at the third group we see. He gave some to the church to be pastors and teachers. And you'll notice here these are linked, that all pastors are teachers. The word pastor meaning shepherd, that God has given to the church meant to shepherd the flock of God with the crook of the word of God. It is the apostles and prophets who have authoritatively given us the word of Christ. It's the evangelists who have told us the gospel that brought us into the kingdom. And it's the pastors and teachers that shepherd us in righteousness. Who who guard us from straying from the flock. Who when we begin to stray, they take the crook and they hook us in the neck with it and pull it back. And maybe that doesn't feel great because we want to run. And they do this by teaching teaching the very word of the apostles and the prophets. Brothers and sisters, Ephesians 4.11 tells us this is a gift to the church so that we might hear the gospel, the news that you were dead in your sins and your transgressions. In fact, even in a room this size today, there may be some today who remain spiritually dead. Cut apart, cut off from the family of God with no hope in the world 
with no hope in eternity. To face God at judgment and to stand on your own merit is to fall. Yet by the grace of God, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoptions as sons. If that doesn't describe you, I urge you, see the grace of God poured out on the cross of Jesus Christ. Repent of sins and trust him and him alone, Christ alone for salvation of your soul. Be brought into the family to be shepherded and taught. These functions we see are a gifting to the church and yet so many hold them in low regard. Uh, There's sort of a regression that occurs, I've seen. There are some who reject the need for the church. They reject the need for pastors and teachers who have any sort of authority over them, whom they are accountable to in any way. And this necessarily leads to a rejection of the word of God. I've seen it myself. A rejection of the authority of the apostles and the prophets. Maybe even it's a a rejection of the authority of the word of God to say, I don't believe that that's even what that means. And often the attitude among those is to say, well, I need not that any man teach me. I do what feels right and I have a peace about. And yet the pastors and teachers are saying, listen, brother, listen, sister, to the word of God. And as we begin to uh, uh, regress away from the local church, we begin to open ourselves to all sorts of wanderings and strayings. To all sorts of heresies and false doctrines. We sing in an old hymn. We pray a prayer to the Lord. We say, bind my wandering heart to thee. And one of the ways he has done this, brothers and sisters, is by giving you pastors and teachers to bind you to Christ. To teach you and pull you into Christ. Yet some view pastors with contempt and bitterness. I've heard these things myself. All pastors are just lazy. They, they work one hour a week. I don't know if y'all heard that news. Pastors only work one hour a week. It's news to me, but I have heard it. Pastor just gets paid too much. If he really loved the Lord, he would just do it for free. Why is the pastor being nosy about my business? He doesn't have a right to tell me what to do. He doesn't have a right to persuade me to get into my business. And so we rebel and we run. But God has said, this is a gift to you. For your safety. For your protection. Now granted, some men are not qualified and they give the rest of us a bad name. But while we reject those who are usurpers, who are not qualified, we also worship and praise God for the gift of your pastors and teachers. We look secondly in this text and we see their their main task, which is this. So our point number two, the equipping of saints who serve. Look at verse 12 and 13. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Here he defines why he has given this gift to the church. Why has he given the apostles and the prophets and evangelists and 
pastors and teachers. And it's for this very function. It is for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building of the body of Christ. That word building, oikodomain, it, uh, the root there of the word is a, has the word home in it. It's a, like a building up of a house, strengthening and building up a, a house or a, or a body. And so I, I want to give you my paraphrase of this verse that might help it. Let me bring it into today's language. The pastors and teachers and evangelists and apostles and prophets serve to give you the tools you need to work hard serving one another like a carpenter strengthening a house, you strengthen one another and build up the body of Christ. Equipping, isn't that what the word means? My son asked me what this meant when we read it last night. What does equipping mean? I said, well, if you and your friends went out tomorrow and wanted to play t-ball and you went, I dropped you off in the field, could you play t-ball? He said, yeah. I said, well, what ball? Well, we would need a ball and a bat and shoes and bases. We would need equipment to do the task. And spiritually, this is what the, the scripture says, that he gives apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to give you the tools you need to equip you. Now, if you've ever been on any work site where tools or equipment was needed, you would probably um, have a problem with any workman who showed up and requested the tools was given the tools by the supervisor and then went and sat in the truck and listened to the radio all day. The reason you're given tools, the reason you are equipped is to use them, is to work them. And he tells us what your job is, verse 12. The, the work of service. The work of service. And he doesn't even just say the deeds of service. He uses a stronger word here, ergon, work. The, the, the effort that puts in in serving one another. That's to all of the body of Christ. And, and the goal in serving is edification. It's building each other up. This means the church becomes less about what can I get and more about who can I serve. You know, the way people pick churches is, is so funny to me if you just sit back and listen to them talk. Which one has the best uh, offerings of slate of offerings that the ministry team puts together for me which one lines up with my desires and it's never about where is God leading me so that I can serve his bride where is God leading me with the particular tools that I have that I can jump in and build up the bride of Christ that's usually not the way people pick churches there's no new testament idea that ministry belongs to the clergy that ministry belongs to the pastors and the deacons. And if you want to be a servant, maybe you'll become a deacon if they talk you into it. And I didn't know this, but I heard Brian mention you're hoping to raise up deacons this year. So maybe some reluctantly take on this task. And the rest say, well, that's for the deacons to serve. The, the word deacon means servant. Would you believe, you believe me if I said when he says the work of service here, the word he uses for service is the same word where we get deacon from? The equipping of the saints for the effort of deaconing. The equipping of the saints for the labor of serving one another. Every believer, no exception. 
as a servant in the household of God. In fact, Peter makes this clear in 1 Peter chapter 4. He says this, As each one of you has received a special gift, put it to work, serving one another as good stewards of the grace of God. Whoever speaks, do so as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves, do so as by one who serves with the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. So I challenge you. I challenge you, brothers and sisters. Are you being equipped? Are you using the tools that your pastors and teachers are giving you by putting them to work for one another? You're being given tools. Every time we gather and we study the Word of God, you're being given tools to live righteously. You're being given tools of uh, the knowledge of obedience to Christ. That even that is a service to one another as we keep guard over one another. And and look in our text in verse 13, how long the church has to endure in this work. Listen to what he says. He says, we do this until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So how long do you have to serve and work in the body of Christ? Well, he tells us, until all of us attain it. Till all of us attain it. In the bride of Christ, there is no believer left behind. There's none left behind. And what do you have to attain? The unity of the faith. The full knowledge of the Son of God. Not just knowledge of who he is, but the full knowledge of the Son of God. Until the entire church is one mature man. And by the way, he tells us how we measure maturity. We measure it not in comparison to the church down the road. We measure it not in comparison to the heathen nation. We measure it not in comparison to the church here a generation ago. We measure spiritual maturity to the fullness of the stature which belongs to Jesus Christ who was perfect. Now, you might be thinking, we'll never get there. That's the point. We keep working. We are continually being corporately sanctified as we are individually sanctified. And God does this as you serve one another. Now, this is a tall order. Unity of the faith, full knowledge of the Son of God, maturity to the stature of Christ. Are we there, Jonesboro? Are we there yet? Or is there work to be done? Now I imagine, I only know a few of you, but I imagine in this church there are new Christians and old Christians. There are some with strong faith and some with weak faith. I can look and see there are young and old believers. There are some with right understandings of Scripture and wrong understandings, right interpretations and wrong interpretations. There are some who are givers and there are some who are takers. There are some who are servants and some who prefer to be served. There are some with advanced levels of knowledge and some with underdeveloped levels of knowledge. But hear me, church. The work is not done until we all attain. It's not done. This means the church needs you. And you need the church in your sanctification. That there are brothers and sisters here who are gifted in ways that you are not, and you need them. 
There are brothers and sisters here who might just irritate you enough that God sanctifies you by growing patience and forbearance with one another. And that might be the way they serve you. You know what this means, by the way? This means that if you call yourself a a member of First Baptist Church, Jonesboro, and you go missing in action... Or even if you're a member of First Baptist Jonesboro and you're here but you're not serving anyone in any way. This means, this means that you are declaring to us one of two things and only one of two things. Either you believe the entire body has attained the unity of the faith, the full knowledge of the Son of God, and the perfect maturity like Christ and there's nothing else to be done or... You're declaring you don't care. Those are the options. It's clear. Until we all attain. So how can you serve? You may be thinking, what do I need to do? Well, that's a great question. And the first thing you look is, how has God gifted you? He's gifted each of us differently. And he's placed us here providentially and sovereignly with one another, with different gifts, with different personalities, with different talents and tastes. How has he gifted you? And start there. And maybe you're not sure. Then you start serving and see where you're gifted. You come to your pastors and you ask for help. I want to serve, but I don't even know what to do. I don't even know how I could be useful. Maybe you think I'm too old or I'm too young. But there's a place for you in the body. And you begin to see the church for what it is, a body. And maybe you begin to build these intentional relationships with people who you didn't already have a relationship. And you seek to serve, or or maybe you teach. And maybe that's not even formal. Maybe you don't teach a Sunday school class. Perhaps there's a couple that's had a successful marriage. And you build friends with a young couple who's newly married and you teach them what it means to have a godly marriage. Maybe you're a young couple with kids and there's someone who's older and homebound and lonely and misses grandchildren who live states away and maybe you go by and you bring joy. Maybe God has gifted you to organize or to pray or to visit or encourage, to cook, to clean, to work in the nursery, to give to be friends, to write cards, to share the gospel, to host, to just encourage a brother and sister, and to speak hard truths into each other's lives. By the way, isn't that what we do when we join a church? We give permission to one another to say hard things to us? So you serve. And finally, we look at our last two verses. And what we see here is the evidence of obedience. Look at verse 14 through 16. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, namely Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. We see in these verses really three evidences 
of a church who is living this, a church who is being obedient, a church who is serving one another, who are submitting to the authority of the pastors and teachers as contained in the Word of God, as their words align with the Scriptures, the words of the apostles and prophets. And as we begin to serve one another, we see these evidences. And first is this, doctrinal clarity and fidelity we see in verse 14. He says, what happens is, as we build one another up in love, What happens is, we're not like children who are tossed here and there by waves of doctrine. That's a winds blowing through with some new strange teaching. And in case you aren't aware, there are a million new strange teachings that will carry you away. But he says we are to be sound in our doctrine. You know, you're not just called to come here once a week and get a message and feel good and leave. You're called to come and learn so that we are tethered to the truth of God's word, anchored to the truth, unshakable, immovable. He gives it in a negative. He first says we're not tossed around and we're not deceived. There are people who will trick you and they don't just exist on late night television. Paul told the elders at Ephesus, he says, as soon as I depart, savage wolves will rise up among you, sparing not the flock. So he says, as we do this, as we're equipped and as we're teaching and we're growing and being sanctified together, maybe you're a a strong brother with a strong understanding and you see someone who's younger in the faith or weaker in the faith or weaker in knowledge begin to be swept away by the winds of doctrine, you yank them and you pull them back so that they're not tossed, so that they're tethered to the Word of God, so that their wandering heart is bound and they're not led astray. And he says it in a positive too. He says in verse 15, we speak the truth in love. Our culture, our society is all about love, though they've perverted the meaning of love. And they have nothing to do with truth. And the church, not this church, but the church at large, Christian leaders, have begun over the last several years to pit truth and love against one another. That to speak hard truths to someone is not to love them. But Paul says exactly the opposite. He says, as we are bound in into the truth of God's word, now we're not tossed around and we speak to one another hard truths because we love them. The reason I would ever tell one of you, brother or sister, you are erring and going astray is because I love you. And I think I could speak for your pastors in the same reason. If they hated you, they would let you walk away. If they hated you, they would let you go in your own way. As the end of Judges says, everyone just did what was right in his own eyes. There's a corporate nature to our theology and our doctrine that guards us from error and deception. It guards our spiritual lives. It guards our practical lives, our family lives, our our job lives, our work lives. And this doctrinal clarity and fidelity necessarily leads into the second thing we see here, which is practical obedience. Look at verse 15. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, namely Christ. Did you hear that? The Apostle Paul just told y'all all to grow up. We, he says, as we are clear on what the truth of the word of God is, we are to grow up. We're to mature. Hopefully, if you've been saved for any length of time, you look back over your life and you recognize sanctification has occurred. That God is growing you in conformity to what Jesus has commanded us. 
You know, some people have the wrong idea that if you just get saved, if he saves you, you're immediately freed from sin and uh, you don't have a struggle with sin anymore and you just perfectly live and everything you do is right. If that was the case, 90% of the New Testament would not have needed to be written because the New Testament tells us now how to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. The scripture specifically says, trying to learn how to please God. And as we see the truth of God's word, we grow up as Christians. But we don't remain baby Christians. We don't remain uh, content living in a way that pleases us and is right in our own eyes. We grow up. And we grow up into the head. Sanctification happens in the church and with the church. People often ask, do you have to even be a part of the church to be a Christian? Do you have to be a part of the church to be saved? And I ask, why would you want to be saved and not be a part of the church? Kevin DeYoung wrote a book, The Hole in Our Holiness, and he made this statement. He says, the man who attempts Christianity without the church shoots himself in the foot, his son in the leg, and his grandson in the heart. We see we grow up... uh, all parts of our life, all portions of our personality and our mind and our thoughts are taken captive. The, the, the whole person is a Christian. Do you recognize that? That when Christ redeemed you, that doesn't just make you a Christian here in this building. It doesn't mean that you come here and you fulfill your Christian duty and then you're done. I actually even read just last night on the internet a, a man who's... A, a, supposed to be a Christian pastor, talking about New Year's Bible resolutions. And he said, here was his advice, don't don't read it all, just read a few verses, set a a 14-day goal, and if you read one verse a day for 14 days, reward yourself by taking a week off of church. And none of this makes any sense for what God is telling us here. The church is the place where we are growing up together into Christ, where we're here and then we go out. We are the church. And all parts of our life are brought in submission to the head, Jesus Christ. So now the way you think at work, submission to Christ. The way you talk in private in your home is all growing up. This is is why we allow one another into our lives to push each other towards further obedience You know, many of you, I will acknowledge, I know, I know you're doing this. And I'll say, as the Apostle Paul says to the church at Thessalonica, excel even more. Do even better. And third, we see the third and final result, and that is faithful service. Look at verse 16. Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. We see those who are in Christ. We see a faithful servant, a faithful service. He says here that every joint supplies something. You know what is included in that word every there? Every. Every member of the body has something to offer the body. Even you who right now think, I have nothing to offer My brothers and sisters in Christ, the scripture disagrees with you. Every joint 
supply. And this is, he says, according to the proper working of each individual. That each of you have to work properly according to the gift you've been given. But you've been given a gift. When one part of your physical body begins to shut down, it affects the entire body. And and God has designed so structured the church the same way. When one part stops, the whole suffers. But when all work together properly, he says this builds the church up in love. This builds it up in love. You know, I know y'all have been in a process for several years of church revitalization. The work of revitalization and building up of the church does not fall solely on the shoulders of the deacons and the pastors. It falls on every faithful member of First Baptist Church, Jonesboro. What a joy that God would choose to use you to revitalize this church and reach this community for Christ. What a joy. This is a beautiful, beautiful gift. So are you obeying? Are you serving in the church Believers, as we close, I want to leave you with these few thoughts. You see here clearly in this text the design of what it means to be a church. And I want you to begin to see this church the way Christ does. To see yourself within this church the way Christ does. And I, I appeal to you, do not give up on the church. I've read many articles about the death of the church. It's going away, and they say in one generation or three... But the scripture says that God will receive glory in Jesus Christ and in the church to all generations forever and ever. Amen. The church is not going anywhere. Don't give up on her, even when it looks hopeless, even when you've been hurt by someone in the church. When someone here has let you down or has failed you, you give grace and you keep working and building the church. I urge you to repent of twisted views of the body of Christ. Repent of a consumeristic view that the church is a place that suits my needs and I choose a church based on my wants and my desires and when it doesn't go my way, I'm out those back doors. Repent of that wickedness. Talk to your pastors about how you can serve. Their job is to equip you, to give you tools to serve this body as we reach this community. Join in the effort and fight with them. And then finally, for those who have never trusted Christ, you're not a part of the body. But for every Christian here who's a part of the body, I could probably speak for them and say they want you badly to be. Because your eternal soul is at stake. And God has left the church here to tell you this news. That to claim any of your own works, any of your own efforts, any of your own merit, anything but Christ and Christ alone, is to drink damnation to yourself for all eternity. But Christ has completed the work. He said as he hung on the cross, it is finished. It's complete. It's done. And the offer of mercy is free from the resurrected Christ, for all who will call on him in salvation. Today can be the day of your salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Brother Brian, turn it over.